Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I am Jason Scorse. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. 2020 is in the rearview mirror, and I don't think that many people are too upset about that. Tough year all around, and uh, looking for bright things in 2021, or at least brighter. And that's going to be the theme of today's episode, where I'm going to talk about aspirations for the Biden administration, but also tempered by some of the realities that will be difficult. I think the net will be positive, and I'm going to really try to emphasize the positive. But of course, there are a lot of uncertainties and all kinds of stuff going on that, you know, we're just going to have to deal with as it comes. 2020 was, of course, completely batshit insane. Uh, I predicted that uh, because I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I knew that Trump and his evil cabal would turn the evil up to 11 on the dial, and they certainly did, leading to the death of hundreds of thousands of our fellow citizens and just an absolute, you know, debasement of our nation in this attempted coup attempt to overthrow the election. I obviously had no idea about the pandemic. I had no idea of all, you know, the the other you know, variables that would come with it. But I knew the evil and depravity of the Republican Party and Trump and his minions. And they certainly did not disappoint on that score. Now, 2021 is going to be harder to predict because, you know, we're kind of somewhat getting back to, quote, normal. And again, I put that in, in heavy quotes. As the vaccine, you know, rolls out uh, in America and across the world, We should start seeing a general, gradual opening up of the economy, especially after this very tough winter in America where we're going to see probably the peak of the COVID death. So it's a kind of weird moment, and I don't want to be cavalier about this. Right now in America, you know, it's two to 3,000 people dying a day, hundreds of thousands being infected. It's the peak of the pandemic, and yet there's also this light at the end of the tunnel because the vaccine has been introduced and is is rolling out. So it's a weird moment. Obviously, all the people who are getting sick and, you know, and dying, my heart goes out to them and their families. It's a terrible tragedy that we're undergoing here. But again, I think the worst will be front-loaded in 2021, and especially as the spring and summer come. I think, you know, America is poised to pick up, obviously, with a new administration that is sane and believes in science and the public good, uh, I think, you know, it could tee things up to be a pretty productive few years, at least from um, a policy standpoint, um, and from an economic growth and kind of, you know, productivity standpoint. And also, I want to make clear here, you know, I've been talking on this podcast about my desire to leave America at some point. I still believe that. I'm not running away. It's just I want to go and see if there's other societies where they're just treat each other better. 
where they just have a better social contract and where there's just a general level of kind of compassion and empathy that I see is lacking in American society. But I'm not going to run. I'm going to go on my own time when things are right. And I want to note that America is a fun place to be if you have a job and you have income because we certainly know how to party here. And I'm just thinking about those summer tours, probably not this year, but in 2022 and beyond, when all the big rock acts and all the big, you know, concert gigs and festivals really gear up after a two-year hiatus, people are really going to go buck wild. And I think it will be really fun. And I want to be part of that. I want to celebrate, you know, that you know, end of the pandemic and when we can go back to restaurants and congregate and have big gatherings. So I'm not I'm not going to leave America anytime soon, but it is a more of a medium long term goal. One thing I want to point out here before kind of getting in to the specifics here of, of what I think Biden is going to do and, and what he might be limited in. I think if all goes well, fingers crossed, the timing really should be helpful for the Democratic coalition, right? Things are going to improve on our watch, right? Trump oversaw this death and destruction and chaos, and then the, the end of that and the rebuilding will, will come under Biden. And that, I think, can only help Democrats. I'm not, again, I'm not wishing that this had happened. I wish None of this pandemic had happened and no one had died, but it happened. It was beyond my control. And now that Biden will be you know, the beneficiary of the uptick in society, I'm very happy about that. I don't obviously have any specific predictions for GDP or the stock market, which, by the way, you know, seems to be highly overvalued at this point. Um, but I think you know, we'll probably see pretty solid and bold leadership from Biden that will you know, probably keep things going pretty solid. Um, I also think we'll see continued treason from Republicans, right? You know, literally to the day Biden is, you know, going to be inaugurated, they're going to be continuing this, you know, um, this performance art right-wing coup um, for their rabid, you know, racist and insane base. Um, And, you know, I think on the margins and in the back rooms, we might see some Republicans come around on some things. So while I think, you know, for their base, for the media, they're going to be just as cowardly, treasonous, and evil as we've come to expect, I think on the margins there might be some room for something, right? There are a few semi-sane Republicans, and I really say semi because if you're really sane, you would leave the Republican Party, right? You would just switch to Democrat. There's nothing, they didn't make a blood oath to stay Republicans forever, Um, But Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, who I absolutely despise, but unfortunately won in Maine and has another six years. And then Mitt Romney, who I also largely despise, but have to give him credit that he has stood up to Trump. And, you know, he's not he's not the full on, you know, evil comic book villain that, you know, the Ted Cruz and the Josh Hollies are. So since there's a few semi sane Republicans who it seems to be uh, ready to deal and work with Biden and the Democrats, you know, we might see some interesting things. Now, of course, I'm launching this podcast on January 5th, and so today is the two really huge Georgia Senate runoff elections. I do not have any knowledge of how those are going to go. My, my motto these days is only one poll matters, and that is the poll on Election Day. 
So we'll just have to see. I'll, I'll obviously speak about that in the next episode. But if that goes in the Democrats' favor, that could really change the calculus. I will have a little bit more to say, though, how I think even if it doesn't go their way and they don't get the Senate, there's still some room potentially for some things to happen. Um, so, you know, I also think, you know, there's going to be steady progress on a lot of fronts in 2021. Now, a lot of that is relative to the baseline, right? We had four years of cruelty, insanity, and barbarism. And so progress relative to that is a pretty low bar. But I still think, you know, we got to take what we can get. And all things considered, it's going to be really refreshing to be in a country moving forward on most fronts, not backward, right? Um, And, you know, there's a lot of policy that's not going to get on people's radar, right? That's done behind the scenes. It's in the details. And, And over the course of this year, I really hope to kind of illuminate some of that for those of you who don't get into the policy weeds. So again, Happy New Year. It is a new day. It is a new dawn. And, um, you know, that's a, there's a lot to be thankful for, again, despite the fact that we are still really in a pretty dire straits with this pandemic. And again, my heart goes out to those who are currently suffering and also big respect to those in the front line, health workers who are still battling this uh, heroically. So after the break, I'll come back and talk you know, specifically about what I think Biden is going to be up to. Okay, so the first topic I want to talk about is the one I'm most excited about and that I'm the most knowledgeable about, which is climate change. This is really where I have the highest hopes for the Biden administration. The signs are already quite favorable based on his cabinet picks. They're universally outstanding, except for one. So Vilsack for Secretary of Agriculture for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, that's a pretty poor pick. I will come back to why I'm pretty disappointed with that in a moment. But I want to focus on on the really positive stuff. So obviously, we got John Kerry to kind of go out since he was Secretary of State, talk to world leaders, tell them that the U.S. is back, ready to deal. We have Gina McCarthy, former EPA head under Obama, who was leading the Natural Resources Defense Council this last year. She's outstanding. She's going to be coordinating in the White House We got Pete Buttigieg in uh, Department of Transportation, a really interesting pick. I'll talk about that in a moment, too. We got Michael Regan. Um, He's going to head up the the EPA. He's been doing a really great job in North Carolina from everything that I've heard. I don't know a lot about him, but he seems like a very solid pick. And the one I'm probably the most excited about, and it's kind of, again, under the radar for a lot of people, is Deb Holland, Congresswoman from New Mexico. 
I've had the honor of working with her on a very small level, but she was a speaker at one of the events I did in 2020 um, on our ocean climate policy. And, and note, here she is, a, a landlocked uh, congresswoman from New Mexico who was speaking out about the need for ocean climate policy, right? So she sees the big picture, and she's just a big conservationist and ocean advocate. As many people have noted, she's going to be the first Native American to lead um, you know, a cabinet of a federal agency, and to, to lead the Department of Interior is particularly... You know, I think encouraging because there's so much land under control of the federal government and for such a strong climate champion like a Congresswoman Holland to be at the helm and, and particularly a Native American after, you know, 250 plus years of broken treaties and promises and and, you know, basically exploitation for her to set things straight and put forward a really visionary climate and land use policy is just going to be something, it's going to be a thing of beauty to watch. Now, before I get into some more of the details here, I just want to say what I really love about what Biden is doing so far is he's reorienting the whole federal government towards climate policy, right? And this means that every one of his cabinet picks is already a climate champion, again, except Vilsack. We'll come back to that. Um, and, and has a lot of vision and will use the power of their individual agency for climate forward policy and the cumulative effect of having a Department of Energy is again Jennifer Granholm from uh, Michigan outstanding. So we got Department of Energy, Department of Transportation, we got Department of Interior, we got the climate czars, we got the EPA head, all working in concert to forward climate policy. This is going to have really big cumulative impacts, right? This has never been tried before in the U.S., right? To align all of the federal agencies in a really climate hawkish manner. And so given the size of the federal government, the budgets these agencies had, the amount of land that they control, right? This is going to really just be a big deal, right? Um, I also think the one area where Biden is likely to get some new federal funding and this is regardless of whether the Democrats can um, get the Senate or not, is it infrastructure, all right? Republicans have been talking a game about infrastructure for years. They didn't do almost anything. And so there's a huge need for infrastructure. And I think Biden will be able to wrest some money out of the, um, out of the, 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 the federal government for this. And this is going to be really directed to green investments, updating the electricity grid, updating transmission lines, particularly for offshore wind, for creating electric charging stations, et cetera, et cetera. Now, of course, if we don't control the Senate, these investments will be you know, fewer and they will be not as climate friendly because the Republicans will demand you know, some ridiculous fossil fuel giveaways um, in, the, you know, in exchange. So obviously who controls the Senate is going to make a you know, matter a lot. But I think, again, even if uh, Republicans maintain control, Biden will get some good green infrastructure um, investments. Now, to, to the Vilsack appointment, this one is surprising because I really don't see the upside, right? I think if I was to try to get into the mind of, you know, uh, uh, of the Biden team, they think, you know, a lot of rural America, a lot of rural farmers don't like Democrats. They want to put in there someone who's friendly to kind of ag interests and who won't, you know, piss off too many of these rural white farmers. 
But Vilsack has really been largely a shill for big agribusiness. And given that there's so much climate work to be done in agriculture, right, in terms of carbon farming, about restrictions on factory farming, you know, big agribusiness is horrible in so many ways, labor abuses and all this stuff. And, you know, the, the, the stuff they were doing with the meat packing um, under Trump, where they were forcing these workers, you know, spreading COVID to go into these slaughterhouses and, you know, with ramped up schedules. It was just it was just despicable. So, look, Vilsack could surprise me. It's been a few years since he's been in office, um, but I was disappointed in that pick. He's the he's the weak link in that otherwise really strong chain here. Now, obviously coming, you know, to the reality here. That's my kind of aspirational view here. The reality as we know is Republicans are going to sue to block many of Biden's actions, and um, there's going to be two key ways for Biden to counter that. One, as David Roberts pointed out in the last episode, is to just sit, simply overwhelm the system, right? If Biden just does dozens and dozens of actions, the Republicans won't be able to keep track of all of them, and many will just slip through, right? Also, the key is he has to craft policy that can survive court challenges, right? This final point is crucial, right? The Supreme Court right now being led by Neil Gorsuch, whose, whose mom was a uh, the, the head of the EPA, um, I think it was in the 70s, and was a horrible EPA administrator. Um, so he, he comes, you know, the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's had it in his sights to really curtail the regulatory authority of the executive branch and the executive agencies. It's part of this evil conservative movement to weaken Democratic presidents. Because, of course, he won't do it when a Republican's in charge. But as soon as, you know, Democrats in charge, they're going to use every legal maneuver they can to limit Democrats' power. Now, however, if the rules are written clearly and they direct agencies on what to do without much discretion. So this is where Gorsuch and and, and the other right-wing nut jobs are going to try to find some daylight to weaken them. They're going to say, you can't tell the agency to just, you know, clean the air. And give them, you know, a full free reign. You have to tell them exactly what to do, how much, what type of technology, etc. And you don't, they don't have discretion because that's, quote, legislating, right? So, again, it's a bullshit, um, you know, conservative made up um, philosophy to, to weaken progressive action. All, you know, all agencies around the world have discretion. They're given kind of general mandates by legislative bodies, and then they're, you know, they're they're meant to carry them out to the best they can, and, and it obviously evolves over time. So again, it's a bullshit decoy, but you know, they control the Supreme Court, and if if Biden and his team isn't very careful, they'll get tripped up by this. So my guess is that he has lawyers right now working around the clock on how to craft these new rules, right, so that they can pass muster. Because, again, the Supreme Court can't invalidate the Clean Air Act. It can't invalidate a lot of key environmental rules, right? So as long as the you know Biden team is very careful in crafting them, I think, shockingly, I know this is, you know again, kind of more optimism, but I think most of them will survive. I do not think the Supreme Court wants to be brazen enough to just say that Democratic presidents can't, you know, set clean air standards and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think we're at that point yet. Now, this is going to be policy that's really in the weeds that I will be paying a lot of attention to uh, as these climate rules do end up in court. 
And uh, and so I will keep you abreast of that, you know, as uh, as they go on over the, the course of this year. Now, just to wrap up this section here, will Biden be able to, to do enough to make up for the last four years of going backwards on climate policy? Probably not. But can he get us back on track and give us a fighting chance? I think the answer is yes. It will have to be followed by successive progressive administrations. We can't, you know, go back again in 2024 and, and, and hope to, you know, hope to really achieve our, our climate goals. But I think he's going to give us a fighting chance. And that's all, you know, that we can ask of him. And so for that, I'm definitely optimistic. And I'm sure he's going to fight hard for it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, you know, the beginning of the administration when the teams come out swinging and, uh, you know, goes for goes for the fences. So after the break, I will come back with some other thoughts on other areas of policy where I think Biden is, is poised to do a lot of good. Okay, so what other issues do I think Biden is going to go big on? First up is voting rights. This is where the attorney general pick is going to be huge, and I'm really curious to see who he picks for AG. My hope is that he picks someone who is steeped in voting rights, law, and policy, who will aggressively use the Department of Justice to prevent GOP voter suppression and to vigorously defend the franchise. You know, this is where we could see some of the biggest pushback as Republicans clearly hate democracy, hate voting, and want to suppress the vote. So this is going to be a really big deal. I Probably the AG pick is his most important pick, and that's probably why he has, you know, kept it, you know, he's keeping it for last. Keep the, keep the biggest and perhaps best for last. The other thing the Attorney General is going to have to have a role in is decisions on how much to prosecute Trump and his crime family. And this is going to be huge as well, right? The right wing of mostly white men have been getting away with murder for the country's entire history. And if there was ever a time to make example of some of them, it's now, right? Biden has been very smart, in my view, to not politicize the Department of Justice you know, when people ask him, are you going to prosecute Trump? He says, look, I'm going to defer to the judgment of my officials. If they think there's a case, you know, I'll let them pr- prosecute it. I'm not going to get involved with political political vendettas, right? This is how democracies are supposed to work, right? Which is, you know, you, you create uh, an independent judicial system and judicial agency. And if, if they find people breaking the law, they, you know, they prosecute them under their discretion, but they're not being egged on by the president, right? So now that's what he says on, you know, in, in public. Behind the scenes, I certainly don't know. I'm sure there's some people who know, you know, how much stomach he has for federal prosecutions of the Trump crime cartel. 
right? Because this is going to be big, right? If the Department of Justice under Biden, you know, indicts Trump or one of his children, you know, the right-wing media is going to go crazy. The Republican Party is going to be cra- go crazy. And so the question is, you know, even though, again, I, I believe him that he's not going to get directly involved, I, there's no question that his choice of personnel and his general predilection and inclinations will, will have some influence on the direction that this goes. And this is where, I'll be honest, I'm a little worried he, he might be erring on the soft side, right? You know, Biden is just not a very confrontational guy. I'm sure the political capital that would that it would be expended, you know, for major prosecutions against Trump and his family would be draining. But, you know, I, I just think this absolutely has to happen, right? Republican presidents from Nixon to Reagan to Bush too and Cheney and now Trump have just been brazenly corrupt and breaking the law just repeatedly, and they never, ever are held to account, and they're just going to get worse, right? The only way to stop corruption and criminality is to prosecute it and really go hard on it. Now, I think the Trump crime family will be charged with numerous state crimes. So I think even if the Department of Justice doesn't go hard on them, there's going to be a lot of lawsuits coming, particularly from New York State, Um, for all kinds of tax evasion, probably money laundering. I don't have all the details, but just from the reading I've done, that seems to be where the the charges will will focus. But I think it will be really imperative to have strong federal indictments to also send that message that no one is above the law. And for Biden to just come out there and go, I trust my attorney general. He or she has reviewed the evidence and they believe Trump should be indicted, and no one's above the law, and I stand by it. Like, that would just be such a pivotal pivotal moment in American history. It's never really happened before. It would be a big, big thing. Because, again, until Republicans pay a hefty price for their criminality, they're just going to continue to escalate. Moving on. Um, on health care, Biden ran strong on strengthening the Affordable Care Act. And there's a lot of hard work to do on that without legislation that is close to impossible, right? And, and the Republicans are not going to work to improve the ACA, right? We can, we, can, we can guarantee that. But he's put in charge of the Director of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra, who's the Attorney General of California, my state, who's an incredible fighter, and he's been working in California really extensively on health care issues. So this tells me that he wants the, the Secretary of you know, Health and Human Services to really use the power of that office to try to make changes to the healthcare system. Now, where can he do this given that there's not going to be congressional legislation? I think he might be able to accomplish some stuff on lowering drug prices, maybe with some, um, some negotiations between Medicare and Medicaid, maybe some, you know, some antitrust potentially enforcement, who knows? But I think that's possible. We could see some lowering drug prices um, through that office. He could also work on improving Medicaid. You know, Medicaid has been incredibly important, especially during this pandemic, where it's really the, the lifeline for poor people, at least in the states that have passed it. Um, and then perhaps he'll also grant some waivers to states that want to experiment with you know public options or single payer. You know, it hasn't happened. It didn't happen much under Obama, but you know, I could see some states maybe want to go out on a limb, and obviously Becerra would definitely give them that um, flexibility. 
So this will be very tough. The power of the medical industry and the medical lobby is incredibly tough to deal with. And, you know, we're going to have Republican opposition across the board lying about death panels and they're trying to socialize your medical system and blah, blah, blah. You know, the typical right wing lies are going to come fast and furious. But I think Becerra is a great choice there to actually use the power of that office to get at least some incremental improvements in healthcare. Um, the final area that I want to focus on here is workers' rights, especially for non-college-educated -edu workers. Now, this is the Democrats' weak spot, right? Even though non-college-educated workers get nothing from the Republican Party, the Republican Party feeds them racism and grievance and resentment, and that attracts them culturally. So even though, again, the Republicans offer nothing materially to them, they do a kind of have this cultural affinity for the grievance politics. Obviously, the Democrats are not going to go down the racist grievance um, rabbit hole. So they have to try to offer something to non-college educated workers. And, you know, the one, I think, reasonable critique of the Democratic Party is it's really run by the professional class. It's run by people with law degrees and, and medical de degrees and PhDs. And it's, you know, we've kind of lost our working class roots, right? Now, I don't think the GOP is going to offer legislative support here, right? Except in one area. Some um, Republican senators, including Rubio and Hawley, and I think maybe not Ted Cruz, but I know Rubio and Hawley, have talked about extending the earned income tax credit. And this, for those of you who don't know, this is a tax credit for people with very low incomes, and it provides a couple thousand dollars depending on your income and if you're married, kids, etc. But there are some loopholes in it and it can be increased. And, you know, again, these Republicans have talked a game about how they want to help the poor. Um, they've never put their money where their mouth is. Maybe, just maybe, Biden could offer them something where a few of them would get on board and that would be a real big win for the poor. But but let's and, and for people who are working, you know, minimum wage jobs, etc. But apart from that, because, again, I don't think the Republicans are going to offer much in terms of legislative support. And with unemployment and stimulus benefits ending within the next few months, it's going to be very hard for a lot of these people at the bottom rung of the income ladder. So what are things that Biden can do? I think he can do things related to the federal minimum wage, to overtime rules, to worker safety, to sick leave. Right. These are things where executive orders and, you know, Department of Commerce, um, Department of Labor, you know, these um, these can really do some pretty significant things. However, my worry is I'm not sure they're going to be able to do enough to prevent the increasing ranks of poverty, you know, over the coming year, again, as the stimulus um, peters out here, right? And so this could potentially create an even more resentful class of unemployed and, you know, financially insecure people who then think the Democrats can't deliver for them, right? Because they're going to, you know, they're going to look at Biden and say he promised this. And even though it's the Republicans blocking it, they'll blame the Democrats. And that's just the way politics works. And again, this is why the Georgia Senate races are so important, because if we can get those two seats, then we'll have 50 we can do a budget reconciliation bill. So it's it's the one bill you can do without the 60 vote threshold for the filibuster. 
and it's budgetary stuff. You can spend money. You can't change like the laws on gay marriage, etc. But you can spend, um, uh, you know, money. And he could maybe, if we got that 50 senators, give some more money to the poor. The last last point I want to come come with here is one thing I think that's just really smart if Biden and Harris do is to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. Kamala talked about it, um, promised it's something they would do. It's easy to do, and it would really be a huge win. It would get a lot of young people psyched and progressive psyched, you know, for a Democratic president to decriminalize marijuana and make it so that, you know, you can't be arrested if you're, you know, transporting it across state lines or an airplane, you put it in your luggage and, you know, really reduce that stress. It would probably also free up a lot of the banking um, groups who don't want to lend to marijuana or, you know, businesses. Um, so that would be a huge, huge win. I'm hoping they throw that in in the first hundred days. So after, uh, you know, the break, I'll come back um, with the antidote. But again, I think uh, Biden can definitely swing for the fences on a lot of lot of dimensions here and get a lot done. I gave the dice a roll and then we lost control. You know we're lucky that we survived. Cause when we jumped the ship, oh man, that boat it flipped. But we should do it all again tonight. I'm thinking life's too short, it's passing by. So if we're gonna go it all. Okay, so for the antidote for today, while I am not bullish on American democracy, we do have a new chapter, and the game is far from over. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns and surprises, and so, you know, we're still in the mix here, right? Everyone deserves a break from the four years of hell we just endured, but I want to implore everyone to stay engaged. Follow the policy fights, especially the ones about the issues you care about, so you know what is being won, what is being lost, and who is fighting for you and who is not. If America has any chance to become a sane country one day, it will be because of sustained engagement by a committed citizenry. So again, while it might not, you know, might sound nice to peel off and kind of just take a long break now that Trump is out, I, I really want to implore you to not do that, at least for an extended period of time. Right, things are going to be moving really quickly in these first few months of the Biden administration. So I really implore you to stay informed and make a commitment to stay in the fight. That's what I'm going to do on this podcast. I will do my part to kind of keep you updated on key fights, key victories, key losses. And, uh, you know, we just got to kind of keep our eye on the prize here for a just, equitable, sane America. And, uh, Maybe, you know, fingers crossed, we will get it one day. But at this moment, we have a new opportunity, and we should absolutely take it uh, with both hands. So with that, everybody, again, Happy New Year. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, uh, Spotify, and Stitcher. 
And with that, everybody, take care. Have a great rest of the week. 